uses the finish. Come on, Dale. Go, baby, go. The Dale and Dale show has become off a of turn four. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to this installment of the glorious white knuckle God fearing spun out and half turned over racing stories podcast. There, I said it in one breath. Top that. And this week, we're going to keep it in the family, the Jarrett family. Ned, Dale, and Martha, Ned's wife and Dale's mama, with a little bit of help from Dale Earnhardt. When it comes to sports broadcasting, Major League Baseball has the famous call by Russ Hodges. The Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the pennant. Following Bobby Thompson's famous shot heard around the world home run in a 1951 National League playoff game against the Brooklyn Dodgers. Hockey has Al Michaels. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! That came in the closing seconds of the Miracle on Ice game between the Soviet Union and the United States during the 1980 Winter Olympics. Honestly, it's hard to beat that one in any sport. And NASCAR has, have you ever? No, I've never. As Ricky Craven nipped Kurt Busch at the Darlington Stripe in 2003. That was pretty good, but for my money, the best call in NASCAR broadcasting history came at the end of the 1993 Daytona 500, the Dell and Dell show, with Ned Jarrett up in the CBS booth calling his son Dale to the win over Dale Earnhardt. Here's how it all went down, straight from Ned himself. Production meetings are typically a rather mundane part of every NASCAR broadcast. What are the big stories this week? Who's running well? Who do we need to watch? Who's going to cover what parts of pit road? Bob Stinner was already a legendary producer in sports broadcasting, having worked in the NFL, the NBA, NCAA basketball, boxing, horse racing, and NASCAR. As the CBS sports team got revved up for the 1993 Daytona 500, Stenner came to Ned with a question. Dale Jarrett spent most of the 1980s establishing himself in the Bush Series and then later as a competitive Winston Cup driver. He found solid ground with Wood Brothers Racing early in 1990 and then captured his first Winston Cup checkered flag the next year in 1991 following a thrilling late-race duel with Davey Allison at Michigan. They both slide up the racetrack, and here they come for the white flag. One more lap to go, and Allison has a slight advantage on Jarrett as they hit for turn number one. They bump, they touch, they rub, going down the backstretch, side by side, wheel to wheel. Who is it going to be in the Champions Park Club 400? It's going to be a photo finish. They touch, coming down through the trioval at the line. Who wins it? I believe she Oh, wow. Dale Jarrett won it. 
but it was a photo finish. He didn't win by more than four or five inches. In 1992, DJ moved to a new team formed by NFL Hall of Fame coach Joe Gibbs. The effort was solid, but turned up no wins that first season together. That didn't deter Ned. He answered Stenner's question not as a proud father, but as an expert observer who'd been around the sport for nearly 40 years at that point. I'll take you back to, to when we would go to Daytona each year. I worked with CBS from the time they started broadcasting in 1979 until they lost the broadcast rights in 2000. And uh, each year they would call me in and uh, and said, what, who can we look to, to be a threat here? And, and you know, just bring them up to date on what, what they needed to be looking out for. This was the producer, Bob Stenner. And uh, so I told him in that meeting, I said, well, this might sound self-serving, but I said, you can watch out for Dale Jarrett this year. He said, really? I said, yep. I said, he's, he's, he's going to be tough in this race. And, uh, of course, as the week played out, he sat on the outside pole. Kyle Petty won the pole. And, uh, and he, you know, he, he ran good all the time. Ladies and gentlemen, the starting order for the 1993 Daytona 500. Celebrating his first pole at Daytona, Kyle Petty. And alongside another second-generation driver, Dale Jarrett. In row two... And sure enough, Dale Jarrett was right there in the mix as the race wound down to its conclusion. To get to leader Dale Earnhardt, however, he first had to figure out a way to pass this new kid, a rookie by the name of Jeff Gordon. When it came down near the end of that race, Ken Squire was the, was the anchor person. The late Neil Bonnet was the other analyst in the booth along with myself. And, you know, the producer has the ability to push a button and speak to each individually, or he can push a button and speak to all of them at the same time. I say that to, to, to let folks have an understanding of, of how it, this played out. So... DJ had got was riding along in third place after they made their last pit stop, and Jeff Gordon was running second, his first Daytona 500, and Dale Earnhardt was leading the race. And uh, so DJ kept sizing Gordon up where he's going to make his pass. And I'd made a few comments about where I thought he'd make the pass uh, coming off of turn four because that appeared to be Gordon's weakness. And sure enough, with about three laps to go, that's where he made his pass on Jeff Gordon, passed him on the outside. Jeff immediately fell in behind him because he wanted to protect it. All he's trying to do is get a top five out of, out of his first Daytona right. 500. And, uh, and he, figured, he figured if he followed Dale Earnhardt that he would do that. And he was doing a great job of that. Coming to the start-finish line with two laps to go, Dale Jarrett made his move. He's going to try looking again. Here comes Jarrett dipping to the outside as Gordon went to the inside. But he's going to clear and get done in the corner. Into one, Jarrett on the move. Dale Jarrett seeking in. They touch. They come back to the line. White flag. White flag and one lap to go. He went to Gordon's outside and completed the pass for second place as they barreled through turn two. Mission accomplished? No, not yet. He still faced the rear bumper of Earnhardt's Chevrolet, and it was getting wider and wider by the second. And then uh, you got up on Earnhardt, and Earnhardt's car was beginning to get loose. And Dale knew how 
to make it get looser. And I don't think Gordon knew at that time how to do it. I mean, yeah. he's a master at it now, but but I don't think at that time that he knew how to get up there and make Earnhardt's car looser. And uh, and so I made comment about that that needed to to get up there and especially going into turn three, coming around to get the white flag. Earnhardt's car washed up the track coming through turn four on the next to last lap. It gave DJ the opening he needed. He got up beside of him as they crossed the start-finish line, getting the white flag, and then made the pass going into turn one for the lead. And Bob Stenner came on my headset and said, okay, Ned, call your son home and be a daddy. See, I didn't know that he had told the other announcers to lay off. We're going to let Ned call this last lap. Uh, wow. And so I just went from being a supposedly professional announcer to being a dad. <laughs> As his son and Earnhardt got to about the halfway point of the backstretch on the last lap, Ned took over the call. Did we say five cars had a shot at it? Get ready, because it's coming to the wire. There's Jared Brunt. Jared pulling back in front. Bodine comes down to the inside. Jeff Bodine, the 86 champion, trying to find some room. Come on, Dale. Go, baby, go. All right, come on. I know he's got to the floorboard. He can't do any more. Come on, take him to the inside. Don't let him get on the inside of you coming around this turn. Here he comes, Earnhardt. It's the Dale and Dale show. It's become off a of turn four. You know who I'm pulling for. It's Dale Jarrett. Bring her to the inside, Dale. Don't let him get down there. He's, he's going to up. make it. Dale Jarrett's going to win the Daytona 500. All right. Oh, look at Martha. Oh, dear. Oh, can you believe it? It was his show up in the booth and Dale and Dale's down on the track. It was interesting that Dale, when you see that tape of the race, everything that I was saying to him, he was doing. <laughs> I said, take her to the inside, Dale. Don't let him get down to the inside. He just pulled it right down to the inside. He instinctively knew how to do that. And I have people that argue with me today. Oh, you have a two-way radio. Yeah, I know. No, I didn't have a two-way radio with me. It just, uh, we both knew what needed to happen, and, and he did it. If Ned's call of that last lap was one for the ages, Perhaps the very best part of the closing stages was the camera stationed just outside the Jarrett family van. There, Martha Jarrett held vigil for her son. Her face was a study in concern and fear and excitement. You name the emotion, and it was written all over her face. David Hobbs is standing by with the best Valentine's present a mother could get, Mrs. Uh, Jared is standing by down there now. Martha, Ned's wife, Dale's mum. What a Valentine's Day for you. Thank you. It was quite exciting for us. I never, I knew he could do it, but I just didn't know me, and I'm so proud of him. Great job he did. You're sitting right opposite the start-finish line. Could you watch that finish, or did you have your eyes closed? Uh, not sure. <laughs> I just heard him say he had won it, and I didn't know I didn't watch. <laughs> I'll watch it on tape. Well, I know you're very When Martha saw a replay of the race later that night, she was not happy. And then they had that camera positioned on Martha. She was in a van behind <laughs> Poor <Pitt> Martha. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and they kept going back and forth there. I thought she was going to have a heart attack. And see, she wanted to be in a position. She wanted me to park that van where she could have gone up in the CBS VIP suite where yeah. she could see that whole racetrack and have food and drink and everything, you know, for comfort. Nope. She wanted me to park that van where she could see that race car, that number 18 is driving then, come by one each lap around. She listened to it on MRN radio. And uh, so they 
the cameraman, instead of getting in front of her to let her know that what they were doing, he was at, at the side view mirror. And that's where those shots that you see were yeah. coming from, from the side view mirror. And she didn't even know they were there. Really? She had no idea that there was a camera. <laughs> oh, I bet there was heck to pay oh, after man. that. <laughs> CBS had a, uh, uh, they always had a party on Sunday night, a celebration type of a party. And they uh, showed that film. And boy, she jumped straight up and she said, they're invading my privacy. <laughs> but after she saw how it really played out, well, she, she understood then. But uh, <laughs> that was a special, special moment. Dale Earnhardt's quest to win his first Daytona 500 has been well documented over the years. Yes, he had lost it in just about every way possible, and in 1993, he flat out got passed. He would not win the sport's biggest race for another five years. In a perfect world, journalists would be fair and objective, no matter what their own personal beliefs and opinions might be. And in the words of the immortal Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. As good as Ned's call had been, he felt a twinge of regret and sought out Earnhardt the following week at Rockingham. I wanted to get to Dale Earnhardt, but, you know, through all the celebration and everything after that race, I had to work the race until the broadcast went off the air, and then I went down to Victory Lane. And so I didn't see Earnhardt until the next week at Rockingham. And uh, he was going to the driver's meeting on Sunday morning. And uh, he was on the outside of the fence walking down through there. And I was on the inside. And I ran over there. And I said, Dale, I need to talk to you a second. He said, congratulations, you guys, on winning that race last week. I said, that's what I want to talk to you about. I said, I did you wrong. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I was on national television pulling for my son. And I said, that's not very professional. That's not the way that it ought to be done. And uh, he looked me straight in the eyes and punched through the fence into my stomach. He said, don't you ever forget, I'm a daddy too. That's Ned Jarrett, gentleman Ned, as classy a person as any who ever stepped foot in a NASCAR garage. My name is Rick Houston, and thank you for joining me on this episode of the glorious, white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over Racing Stories podcast. I will be back next week with another one. Glorious Racing Stories is a production of Dirty Mo Media, hosted by me, Rick Houston. This show is produced by Andrew Curland, executive producers Mike Davis and Jason Schultz. Artwork is by Sean Sin. Broadcast audio is credited to MRN, Fox, NBC, CBS, and ABC. Check out Dirty Mode Media. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mode. Dirty Mode.